This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. When we look at this, yes, there was a forbidden fruit, but within that forbidden fruit, there was the option, the choice to reject God and His way and to say, I want to do my own thing my own way. That's where the sin was found. It was in rejecting God. It was in not trusting Him. It was in taking for myself. It was in choosing my own way. And so that that fruit, yes, it, it was sinful for them to take that fruit. But the reason why wasn't, be, it's not because apples are bad. That, that's not the point. The Bible makes clear that all of us have sinned. And today, Pastor Cody explains that the nature of sin is to disobey God and choose our own way. He shows that this was the case when the first humans sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. They did the one thing that God forbade them to do. And this attitude continues to the present age, as we are all born with an innate desire to do the things we know to be wrong. But Jesus offers to break us free from the curse of sin, if we will choose to trust in Him. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 5 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. The reality is that both biblically and scientifically, there's no such thing as race. There's one race. It's the human race. And we are all part of it. And we all trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve. And you only get that. You only understand that from a biblical concept. When you understand a literal Genesis and a literal Adam and Eve. You see, this this is where race tensions are eliminated. This is where true reconciliation among race happens. Is when we go back to a biblical concept. But when we cast off the Bible and we say that's just a nice story, then all of a sudden we have no explanation for these things and we're left to just try to figure it out based on being good people. And you see where that gets us. It gets us where we're at today. You see, there's a very serious consequence here as well to sin's entrance to the world. Did you see it? Look at it, verse 12. Just as through one man's sin, death entered the world and death through sin. That, That through Adam's sin, death came into the world. This is the consequence of sin. And then look what it says there. And thus, death spread to all men. You see, this has been true since Adam and Eve. They died. And since then, every single person who's ever lived has died. No one, no one has ever escaped this. No one's ever gotten out of this. No one's ever been in a position where they haven't died. And, and, and what we have being laid out for us here is the idea, it's a theological concept, and this is where it gets a little bit heady, a little bit difficult, a little bit complicated. It's a theological concept called federal headship. Now, when I say federal, you might think of the federal government. It's not like the federal government in terms of that, but it is like the federal government in terms of how we elect people or officials to represent us in the government. That's the concept, that someone is there representing a group of other people. That's the idea of federal headship. And in this, Adam represented all of humanity. Everything that we have in our lives today cascaded from Adam and Eve. It's like this. My height, 
my eye color, my hair color, my melanin level, the shape of my hands, the, the, my, the thinness of the bridge of my nose, all of those things, all of those features were passed down to me genetically. They were given to me physically. That there's a lot of things when you, when you look at my father, you see a lot of the same traits in him and then his father before him and his father before him. That I got these traits from somebody else. And the same thing is true, not just physically, but it's also true spiritually. There's a spiritual gene, if you will, being passed down from Adam. It's this fallen sinful nature that as Adam sinned, he opened the door to sin and in opening the door, it changed his genetic structure, if you want to use that kind of phrasing, and it caused him to be spiritually fallen, which then Adam and Eve passed down to their kids, that fallen nature, which has been perpetually passed down to every single person since them. You see, it's this thing that takes place as a result of the cost of sin. Here's how God said it to Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. You're sure to die. This is the consequence for the sin. And so God says, this is what's going to take place, Adam. This is how it goes. This is the way that, it, that it's going to, going to happen. And when, when they did that, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, death came and spread to all of us. So now sin brings death. That's the idea that's being given to us here. And in this, you know, my sinful nature is passed down spiritually. And the proof of that reality is that we all die, right? Like, like if you want proof that you're a sinner, well, you die. That's the proof that everyone is a sinner in all of human history. That that's just the way we are born into this state of being spiritually dead. And as a result, we all die. Sin is in the world, sin is in humanity, and the, the proof of that is the fact that we all die. Now, sin brings death, and the law produces more sinfulness, if you want to say it that way. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Do you see that there? So it's kind of this idea where it's saying, you know, the law makes sin worse. And, and so, if you're thinking through this, maybe you're thinking, well, God, I mean, actually your law is making things worse. If there was no law, then, you know, the sin wouldn't be such a big deal. So the law is the issue. Well, the truth of the matter is that the law didn't make sin what it is. The law didn't create sin. The law just clearly identifies where sin is. Sin existed before the law happened. The law only reveals more sin. And that's what it says there. In verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why Moses? Why is he significant? Because Moses was the one who brought the law. And so he points back and says, well, you might look at this and say that the, you know, the, the law was what made sin worse. That's not necessarily true. And the reason why is because people still died from Adam all the way to Moses. And notice it continues on, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So what he's saying there is you didn't, have to, you didn't have to do exactly what Adam did in order to die, that Adam opened the door to sin, and by opening the door to sin, it causes sin to enter into all of us, and therefore we all die. You see, you don't become a sinner when you commit your first sin. 
That's not when you, you don't become a sinner then. It's not like you're, you know, I, I know, you know, many of you, maybe you have these precious little babies and, you know, they're, they're so beautiful and they're so amazing and you're, they're so cute and they're, they're, you know, you're just all this excitement around the belly and the, you know, the baby in there kicking you and all that stuff. Maybe it's not exciting all the time, but you know, then the baby comes and you're like, oh, so precious. And, and people even say this phrase, oh, they're so sweet and so innocent. And, and those of you who have had kids, you realize, that's not true. That thing's a sinner. It's a little terrorist sinner bound up in this little cute package because that baby very, very quickly turns into a self-centered screaming machine that only cares about one thing. I need you to feed me. Do that right now. That's all that they they care about. And so they're extremely self-centered, only focused upon themselves. And that's that way from the very, very beginning. In fact, as your kids grow up, parents, I guarantee you never sat them down and said, hey, listen, I need to teach you how to sin correctly. I want to make sure that you are good at doing bad. No, no one does that, right? I mean, I guess some people could do that. But the, the thing is, is that we are constantly trying to train evil out of our kids. We're constantly trying to train good into them. We don't, we don't have to show them how to do wrong. They just naturally go that way. They just naturally go toward sin. You see, in this, just a little tip, parents. If you have multiple kids, then maybe you'll see this a little bit more clearly. But all of your kids are sinners, even if you think that some of them are. I remember that Micah and I, when we had our, our first kid, we had, we had our oldest, Haley. One of the things that we said to one another is that after we had other children, if we had only had her, we would have thought that we were the best parents ever. We would have thought that we were the, the most amazing parents because we're just so good at this. We're just awesome. And then we had more kids and we realized we're, we're actually not. Haley's just really compliant. That, that's what we found out. And the thing is, is that as she was growing, what we realized, what we found out was that she was actually still a sinner. Even though we didn't see it all the time, she was still a sinner. She was just really good at keeping it inside. She was good at hiding it within. She had internal sin. Now, our second came along, Leah, and she doesn't really keep it on the inside. She lets it go on the outside. She is very forward with it. She's very vocal with it. She's very physical with her sin, and it's just all out there. And so, you know, the, the thing is that they are both, my girls are both equally sinners. One's just covert, and the other one is overt. Covert sin is not sinlessness. Hidden sin is no less sinful. It's just less obvious. And so that's what what we're going along with here is just to say that we all, all of us are born in sin. You see, you didn't have to sin according to the likeness of Adam in order to commit a sin. It's, It's sin nonetheless. Here's the idea that eating some fruit was not the sin. It wasn't the sin for Adam and Eve. And it's not the sin for us today. There's not like some sort of fruit out there that you're not supposed to eat. That's not the point. When we look at this, yes, there was a forbidden fruit, but within that forbidden fruit, there was the option, the choice to reject God in his way and to say, I want to do my own thing my own way. That's where the sin was found. 
It was in rejecting God. It was in not trusting him. It was in taking for myself. It was in choosing my own way. And so that, that fruit, yes, it, it was sinful for them to take that fruit. But the reason why wasn't, be, it's not because apples are bad. That, that's not the point. It's not that you can't eat a banana. Nor is eating the forbidden fruit the only sin. You see, the door of sin is, is open by Adam and all of its perverse forms are now made available to humanity by this very first man and this very first sin. And it's been our ever-present reality ever since. Now notice there at the end of verse 14, we have this thought. It says this, it says that even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam... Notice this, who is a type of him who is to come. So now Adam is linked to Jesus. Him who is to come, we'll see here in just a minute, is Jesus. And so Adam is being linked to Jesus and we're saying that these are similar. There's a comparison being made to Adam and Jesus. Now they have many things in contrast, but they at least share one thing in common. And that is that they qualify for this position, this title of federal headship. That they have a position of representing all humanity, unlike anybody else. Even though one person can do something that affects a lot of other people, Adam and Jesus are in a category unto themselves. So much so that even 1 Corinthians refers to Jesus as the second Adam. It's not that Jesus is less than Adam. It's that Jesus and Adam are in this category of federal headship. Now, some have an issue with, with this idea of with Adam representing them. They're, they're like, I mean, really? Uh, when we look at all this, I, I'm doomed to be in a fallen state and condemned to an eternity in hell because of another guy? Some other guy made it a choice way back when. I never met him. I never talked to him. I never seen him. He's so old. It's so far gone that he's kind of drifted into legend and lore and fable. And that guy is the reason why I have to live in this life in this way. And, they, and some people even think they go, well, I mean, why didn't I get a shot at this? Maybe I could have done better. Maybe I could have been a better representation. And, and let me just say it to you like this. If you think that you could have had a better shot, if you could have, then God would have put you in the Garden of Eden and not Adam. Adam is the very best of us. Adam and Eve were the most perfect people. They, they were created in perfection. No sin had ever been in the world before them. They, they, were, the, they were created perfect. They literally lived in paradise. They had no need for anything, no want of anything. There was no societal influence, no bad people out there, right? Isn't that what a lot of people talk about? Like it's a systemic issue way out there. You know, and that's just the way that people try to shift the blame to somebody else. It's this unnamed, unfaced, bad entity somewhere out there that that's where all the problems are. Because they don't want to look internally and say the problems are actually inside here. And, and the, the truth is that there was no societal influence for them. They didn't have a bad society. There was no system against them at all. And they literally walked with God every single day. That God would show up in the cool of the day. They'd walk and they'd have a conversation. Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus? Literally God coming to speak and talk to you just daily. That was their daily existence. And they still failed. And they still failed. Okay, so the best people in the best situation with the best possible ability to succeed still failed. The only difference if I was there is I would have done it faster. 
That's, that's the only difference that would take place. And so if you have a, an issue with federal headship and that Adam represents you and you're like, man, that's just not fair. I mean, why did somebody else decide for me? Well, well let me say it to you like this, that federal headship of Adam sets a precedence for the federal headship of Jesus. That because Adam represented humanity, now Jesus can represent humanity. You can't have Jesus represent you on the cross and bleed and die for your sin if you don't have Adam representing you and plunging humanity into sinfulness. You can't have one without the other. Those who say, I don't want Adam to represent me. I just want to represent myself. Well, I mean, you're, you can't, you already have failed, okay? Right? Like you're already in sin. And so you've already failed. And so all you've done is proven, proven that you are under the federal headship of Adam. And, and in fact, if maybe you're arguing even now and you're like, I don't even like that concept, that, that idea. Here's the thing. You've just got to have the humility to say, you don't get to choose. You don't get to make the rules. You didn't get to create the system. God did. God created it that way. And in his genius, he allowed Adam to be the position of federal headship for humanity so that Jesus could be in the position of federal headship for humanity. If you cut off Adam's representation of humanity, you also cut off Jesus's representation of humanity. Then how do you get to heaven? How do you have your sins paid for? How do you become made righteous? How do you get justification? It's not possible. It's like the guy sitting on a branch and he wants to cut off the, the branches of the tree. And so he takes the chainsaw off and he cuts the branch that he's sitting on and he plunges to his own death. That's exactly what you do when you cut yourself off from Adam. You cut yourself off from the salvation of Jesus. All right. Secondly, this, not only the comparison of Adam and Jesus, but also the contrast of Adam and Jesus are given to us here in verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 says this, but the free gift is not like the offense. Now, I just want to stop there already. See that word, but? There's a transition. See the transition there? We, we were comparing Adam and Jesus in the first part. Now we're switching. Now we're going to contrast Adam and Jesus against one another. The similarities are over, and the contrast that we have here is in the imagery of kingdom language. I'm going to read through this section, 15 through 17, but I want you to focus on verse 17 when we get to it, all right? So I'm just going to read over this one more time for us. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the the one which sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense, listen to this, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Do you see that there in verse 17, the way it, it brings out this idea of reigning? Now, it's not rain like the water coming down out of the sky. It's reigning like a kingdom. It's introducing this concept of kingdom language. It's this imagery of two opposing kingdoms that are being set up, that are being established, that they have these two kingdoms ruling. And what they're ruling over is the dominion of the human heart. 
That's where the kingdom is established. That's where it sets up its rule and its reign. And Adam and Jesus are the ones in the the position of federal headship who set up two different kingdoms. They established two separate kingdoms with different rulers. Now notice in verses 15 and 16, they both start like this. But the free gift is not like the offense. That's in verse 15. Now look at verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came. There's this contrast being established for us here. These kingdoms are set in opposition to one another. They are mortal enemies seeking to destroy one another. That's what these kingdoms are. They're at war with one another. So Adam's kingdom, as we have described here for us in in these verses... The ruler of this kingdom, Adam's kingdom, is under the cruel and tyrannical ruler of death. Do you see that? Look back at verse 14. It says this, Nevertheless, death reigned. Death is the king over this kingdom, over Adam's kingdom. Adam's the federal head that sets up the kingdom, and death is the ruler. And he shares his throne. Death shares his throne with his father, sin. Look all the way down at verse 21. So that as sin reigned. Do you see how sin is reigning there as well? So sin is the father, death is the son, and they sit on two thrones overseeing this kingdom, executing injustice over their subjects. Their castle rises as vulgar and contaminated shrouded in darkness and the stench of decay and fire and ash fills the air. Their castle is surrounded by a wasteland of nothingness. The, the, the ground is scorched. There is no life. It's a kingdom of darkness and of death. The kingdom is marked by offense. In this section, seven times the word offense is brought up. And that word offense means trespass or a false step. The, the idea of offense is that you, you know what's wrong and you do it anyway. You do it on purpose. You know what's wrong and you do it on purpose. Isn't that what happened with Adam in the garden? God said, don't eat this fruit. And he said, what, this fruit? And he started touching it, right? Like, isn't that, that's kind of what happens to us. Don't do that. Don't touch that over there. Wait, I want to touch that now because you said, don't do it. There's this thing that rises within us, this rebellion that's there because we're under the kingdom of death the kingdom of sin, and the kingdom of death. But Jesus' kingdom is different. Jesus' kingdom is under the beautiful and magnificent ruler of grace. Do you see that there in verse 15? But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift. The ruler of Jesus' kingdom is grace. And he freely dispenses holiness and righteousness an eternal life. That's what this king dispenses. His castle rises clean and pure, brilliantly shining in the warm sunlight, surrounded by beauty and joy and glorious resurrection power. It's a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom of life. You see, this kingdom is marked by a gift. You see that there over and over again in this section? The gift and the free gift. It's mentioned six times in this section. And this is something that can't be earned. It's only provided by the benevolence of another. Someone has to give it to you. Someone has to to give it away. You can't earn it. If you earn it, it's not not a gift. But this gift is given away. And that's what this this ruler, this king, grace, does. See, these kingdoms not only execute their rule, 
but their authority results in very clearly displayed outcomes for those under their subjection. Look at verse 16. It says there that Adam's kingdom of offense is resulting in judgment and condemnation and death. Look at verse 16. It says this, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment. This is the result of Adam's kingdom. The judgment there, which came from the offense, which resulted in condemnation. There's this result. There's this thing that takes place in Adam's kingdom of offense. Judgment and condemnation and death. And yet Jesus' kingdom is established differently. His kingdom of the gift is, is displayed in justification and righteousness and eternal life. Look at there at verse 16 again. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came through one offense resulted in condemnation. But... The free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Verse 17, For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Romans gives you an in-depth idea of what to believe as a Christian, but also how to apply that as you live it out. So think about it this way. Is what you say you believe consistent with what your life is living out? It's a bit of a heart check, right? Would your life be an accurate mirror to what you claim to believe from the Bible? We hope that you continue referring back to the book of Romans and the Bible in general for guidance on how to live your life. For additional resources and to hear this message again, head over to redemptioncalvary.org. You can listen to additional messages from this series, and you can also subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message. Once again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you'd like to request some prayer about what you're going through or how things relate to what you heard today, you can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you're interested in knowing more about this ministry or want to learn more about Redemption Calvary located in Commerce City, Colorado, please visit our website, redemptioncalvary.org. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Cody next time for another look at the Book of Romans right here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.